listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. In your Bibles, do 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're not familiar with your Bible, it's, it's kind of flip to the back and then start flipping to the left a little bit and you'll find a little book called 1 Peter. We've been in this book. This is week seven, I believe, of, uh, of our series. Uh, and if you thought last week was controversial, oh, contrary, mon frere. <laughs> Welcome to this week. If you are our guest today, this is your first time visiting CBC, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I'm just telling you, you came with you the right week. Uh, this is a doozy. This is a text that many churches will not come to, uh, th- that may not touch with a 10-foot pole. If you want to be controversial in a day, talk about politics and gender. And so what Peter says is, let's just knock them out in two weeks. Why don't we just put them back to back and just talk about them? So that's what we're going to do today. But this is why, y'all, as a church, this is why we do expositional preaching, right? Because we work through books of the Bible, and it forces us to face everything. And we can't skip stuff and just talk about the stuff we want to talk about. We talk about what God wants us to hear. And sometimes we come to texts like this. It's like when I give blood. I give blood once a year because I got to go to the doctor and get my, you know, my physical. And even as an adult, I see that needle coming and I'm like, I kind of put my head away. Oh, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. And then they take it and it's, I'm like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And actually it's for my good because it tells me uh, that my cholesterol is high or that whatever, whatever's going on. Uh, and sometimes we come to texts like this and we kind of turn away. And, and my goal and my prayer is that we're going to walk away saying, that was for our good. That was for our good today, right? Because yes or no, God is good. Is he good? Is, we just read that his word is good. It is pure. Uh, did Jesus come to bring life and give it abundantly? He did. And so, uh, so his word is true. And so here's what I would ask that some of you uh, would put away some of your preconceived notions and, and before you shut me out, we have a culture in a world that, that prides itself on being very open-minded and pluralistic. And so I'd ask you to be very, that'd be true of you this morning, that you would be open-minded for about 40 minutes. And then at the end, if you want to be mad, that's fine. Um, but I am the messenger of what God has said, and he is good. Um, and so you can disagree with me or not, and that's fine. That's, we live in America, you can do that. But uh, I'm going to teach you as best as I can what God has said about a challenging tub- subject. So, and, and it's all rooted, again, in what we looked at last week. Uh, verse 12 of Peter. Peter's writing to a group of people he calls exiles. They are followers of Jesus now, so they don't fit anymore. And we've been unpacking this. And he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable or good or beautiful or winsome. Why? So that when they speak against you, nothing sticks. We talked about that last week. And then ultimately, the goal is that they would see your good works and glorify your, God, your Father who's in heaven. And so that the idea would be you live in such a beautiful way that people are drawn to God and they become followers of Jesus also. And he applies it to different circumstances that God has ordained. Government, we talked about that last week. And work, we talked about that last week. Today, he's going to apply it to the marriage relationship. That there should be a, a beautifulness to our marriages that the outside world, though they may slander Christianity and Jesus and all these things, that they would say, yeah, but there's something about their marriages that I'm drawn to, right? That's the goal. And so what we're gonna look at is Peter's gonna unpack that today. How do we have a good, attractive, beautiful marriage? And he's gonna address both the husbands and the wives. And I realized just in doing that, that we have a wide audience of people that are here. We have everybody from been married 50 years to five years old. 
And so some of you are like, well, I'm not married. Uh, um, I'm, I don't have any plans of getting married. I have no prospects right now. Or I'm a widow or I'm a divorced uh, single mom. I, we got, we got the, the spectrum. And so what I would say is this. Yes, Peter is applying this to a circumstance in the church that he's dealing with, but this is God's word for all of us because you don't know if, if God's gonna have you get married. You don't know if uh, you have your best friends are gonna be dealing with these issues. And so as the body of Christ, we need to know what God says about marriage. You as a single person in this room, if it's God's desire for you to be married, that you need to be looking for this kind of person, not perfect because that, that person doesn't exist except for Christ, but these are kind of things you need to be thinking of in your community group, in your high school group, all these things. And so even though this is a narrow audience and application, it's still broad in its scope and, and being the kind of man and woman that God would have you to be. And just remember, the highest calling is not, in, in, in our lives, is not to be married or have kids. Or The highest calling is to be called Christian, right? And then how we live that out if we are married or how we live that out as we're a college student or single. That's the calling. So um, so we're going to be in 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. A few principles I, I got to get out there before we begin. In the past, I've unpacked these in an entire standalone sermon. You can go on our website and listen to texts where we've done this. But there's a few principles that are undergirding what he's going to say here that I got to get out front. Because one of the attacks on a passage like this is, oh, that was just very cultural and that was just very then. And the irony is, it was actually countercultural then as we're going to see. So, and where Peter is appealing to and what he is going to be saying is not rooted in culture. It's actually rooted in pre-culture. It's rooted in creation. And Paul unpacks this when he deals with these very same issues in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians. Uh, we're not gonna have time to look at that, but I need to just kind of get these big picture principles for you that everything else is built on, okay? So these are gonna be important. Principle number one is that men and women are created equal yet are distinct, which is a big controversy in our culture. But they are equal, yet distinct. And so in the very beginning, God creates man and woman in his image. He said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. But the idea is, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And he creates them, he goes on to say, male and female, in the image of God, he created them. So they're both equally created in his image. The difference is they carry God's image differently. There's some similarities, but there's some distinctness. She carries the image of God in one way, he carries it in another way. And the, the point is, it's good. After everything in creation, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Our world, when we hear equal, we, what we mean is same. And that's not what God means. Equal does not mean same. I am equal with the president of the United States. I have the same vote, I pay the same taxes, I'll do all the same. But we're not the same. The role he plays is different than the role I play. Equal, but not the same. And so the idea there is male and female both created in God's image, both equal, but yet there is a distinction, male and female. And then when they come together, the one man leaves his father and mother, he clings to his wife, the two become one. There's a unity and there's a diversity still. There's not one person, it's two people, she's still female, he's still male, but there's a oneness, a spiritual oneness that God brings together in that marriage covenant. There's unity and diversity, which is all because God is, is a God who is unity and diversity. He is Trinity. He is one God, three distinct persons. All right, so everything is, reflects that, even male and female. Here's the second principle, is that creation has a divine order. That God creates things very purposely and distinctly. Everything in the universe has order and it complements each other. Right, so you have dark, you have light. You have land, you have sea. You have sky, you have earth. You have male, you have female. There's this order you have the, the, the water cycle and photosynthesis and all these things that I, don't, I know that they exist, I don't know what they are anymore. 
right? But there's a, there's a complementary nature to creation, right? Why? Again, because God is a God of order. The Trinity is a, is a that Godhead has order. There's Father, there's Son, there is Spirit. There's one God. They're co-equal persons, but the, the Father is not the Son. The Father did not die on the cross for your sins. So when you pray, Father, thank you for, for dying on the cross for my sins. He did not. The Son did. The Spirit is, is the one who fills you, right? The Spirit is, proceeds from the Father and from the Son. There's distinct roles within the Godhead. Who's more important, the Father or the Son? Trick question, neither, <laughs> right? They're both worthy of your worship and, and, and uh, obedience. And so creation reflects that. And so when God creates people and the universe... He does it very specifically. You can read about Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and everything else, and everything else in creation, he does it uh, in the same way. You know, he wants to make hippopotamuses, hippopotamuses, male and female. He makes giraffes, he makes fish, he makes stars. He makes all these things at the same time. When he comes to the, the, uh, the, the height of his creation, which is man and women, because they're made in his image, he does something very distinct. What does he do? Read about it in Genesis 2. He creates Adam first. He, he, he leaves him alone. And what he does then, he gives him instructions, he gives him warnings, he gives him a job, right? And then it says this, it was not good for the man to be alone. Have you seen single guys? That is why. (laughs) Why? Because he gave him a job, he gave him a, a responsibility, gave him a warning, and then he says he can't do it. He can't do it. So what am I gonna do? I'm gonna create a helper and he's there the one who comes alongside and helps him and makes him capable to do this. And it is a complementary nature. He does it on purpose. And this is why Paul appeals to the order in the family and the order in creation because God creates it this way on purpose. He wasn't like, oops, I forgot to make you know, Adam a partner. No, he does it because there's an order, right? And, and I, I've used this quote before, but I think it's so helpful uh, from Matthew Henry. He says, the, the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam not to not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be beloved. And it was beautiful and it was good. And this leads to the third principle, the core responsibilities. And again, I've done multiple things on this, especially with our guys, but if you boil it all down, what does God create Adam to do as the responsible one? He creates him to lead. And so core responsibility of man is to lead doesn't mean all he does is lead. It doesn't mean women don't have leadership. We're not even talking about in your jobs. We're not talking about what you do in your career, or which team you coach. I'm talking about in the home, the role of the husband is to lead, right? God gives him instruction. God gives him a warning. And then he is to take his wife and say, okay, this is what God said. We're gonna go follow him together. That's, that was the design, right? But the problem is what? Sin, sin. And because of sin and because our first father, Adam, was passive when the snake shows up and says, hey, why don't you eat this? And his wife says, yeah, let's eat this. And he doesn't step on the snake. He doesn't stop everything. And then when God comes, what does he do? He hangs it all on the woman. It's her fault. It is the, it is the uh, epitome of passivity. And because you are in Adam, men, your core responsibility is to lead, but your core sin that you're gonna have to fight against your entire life is being passive and sitting back and waiting and letting things just unfold. And that's why the curse of sin for men is, okay, work used to be good and easy, now it's gonna be hard. You wanna be passive? I'm not gonna let you be passive. You're gonna have to bust it now. And ladies, 
the core responsibility, it's not all you are, but it's a core responsibility that God has created you to do is to come alongside and keyword partner, to give strength, to give, give wisdom, to make it happen, to partner. But your core sin, just like Eve, is to be independent and say, I don't need him and I don't need God, but I do need that apple. It wasn't an apple, but you know, I need that and I wanna get my own. Right? And so now your core fight in your heart is going to be, I want independence. I don't need, I don't need, I need. I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. When God has created this order for you to, to be under the shade of your husband and you, no, no, I don't need him, I don't need God, I can do my own thing. That's, that's part of your core DNA. I've got to fight it. And that's why the curse, when God says, okay, this is what's going to happen because of sin, ladies, it's going to be pain in childbirth, which is true. That's why God created the epidural. But secondly, God says, your desire is gonna be to control, to rule your husband, but he's gonna actually rule over you. And it's a, it's a harsh reality. Go anywhere in the world, women are abused 99.999% of the time more than men. Look at the Taliban. That is a result of the curse. How women are treated in the Middle East right now, how women are treated in America, in some cases. It's, it's a result of the curse, right? You don't hear about guys getting beaten up. You don't hear about hardly ever uh, the, the sex trade uh, going on with, with young boys hardly a little bit, but not as much as females. Why? Because it's part of the curse of sin. It's the result of sin. And so you gotta grasp that all these things under guard. Men and women created equal, but distinct. There's a divine order in creation. Men, you're called to lead, but you have to fight passivity. Ladies, you're called to, to partner, but you're, you're gonna have to fight that independence. And with that, the good news is, even in a fallen world, we can, God redeems that and we can still fulfill the purpose of marriage. And the ultimate purpose of marriage is not to bring you joy, not to make you happy, although those might happen. The point of marriage is the gospel. Ephesians 5, this mystery is profound, but I'm telling you, it's about Jesus and his church. Marriage is about Jesus and his church. Your marriage is supposed to be a walking picture of the relationship of Jesus and his church. That is how people are gonna see it and glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the point. So we tell every couple, when they come in and say, I always ask them, why do you want to get married? Oh, I love you, so sweet. I want to spend the rest of my life with them. That's not enough. That lasts for three weeks. It's not enough. It's got to be about something bigger. Because if it's all about you being happy, what happens when cancer, losing job, miscarriage, he's mean, he smells, he whatever's. It's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be about something else. And that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, how, so how do we as husband and wife picture the gospel? That's where Peter's going. So those undergird everything. I know that's a lot of time and I'm going to have to fly, but that's just the way it is. All right, so I needed to get it. So let's jump into verse one of chapter, I mean, verse, yeah, of chapter three. Likewise, and we can stop right there. What does he mean likewise? He's, he's linking back to something earlier. He's about to give a command. He's given that command twice to be subject. And, and it links back to Why? Why did he tell us to obey the government? Why did he tell us to, to be good employees? It's all for the Lord's sake. Everything he's gonna say to husbands and wives has everything to do with your relationship with God. Because of God, for the Lord's sake, because you are a follower of Jesus, for his glory, for his name's sake, I want you to do these things, right? And so he says, he gives the command, be subject to your own husbands. Not be subservient to men, not just go around as servants. He said, the idea is put yourself under the, the shade of your husband's leadership. And here's what's interesting about the command. It's in the middle voice, okay? And again, we don't do English grammar very well. The middle voice, here, let me give you an example. Active voice, I hit you. Okay, I'm doing the action. Passive voice, I was hit by you. 
Middle voice, I was hit by myself. And it's reflexive, it's about me. And the command is, ladies, put yourself underneath the leadership and the headship of your husband. You, and if you're like, well, no one can make me do that. That is true, no one can. That's the whole point of the command. That's why it's reflective. If you say, no one's gonna make me subject to the government or subject to my boss or subject to Yes, that is a true statement because it has to be done by you. No one can force you. Husbands, you are not commanded. This has nothing to do with you, husbands. Nothing. We'll get you in verse seven. This is all about you, ladies, right? And, and I know we hear those, that word, subject, this idea of authority, and it makes us cringe and it makes our skin crawl because of abuse and because of all sorts of things that we've seen. And, and let me just say as a side point so we get this up front, if there's abuse, call the cops. We're not, I would, we would never say, oh, you just have to grin it and bear it and just, you know. No, 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 that's not what he's saying. If there's abuse, if there's something going on, call the cops, call us, we'll get you an apartment, we'll get you away from old boy, we'll file a, a, a police report. We're, so we're not talking about that, so let's just cover that now. We're not saying if you're a, in an abusive relationship, you just need to stay there because that honors God. No, we're not saying that, okay? What we are saying is uh, that you're, you're called in the divine uh, thing of marriage and to put yourself under your husband, right? The, but the irony is that the fact that it bothers us when we hear this language and when we, because we've seen a mis, misuse and abuse of this, it actually proves the, the point that there actually can be good headship. There can actually be good authority because when we see poor authority, it bothers us. And that's the point. It's, authority is supposed to be a blessing. It's supposed to bring shade. It's supposed to be good for us and bring protection. Genesis 3, I mean Genesis 2, don't eat the fruit. That was protection, don't eat the fruit because it's going to destroy everything. Government is supposed to be good. It's supposed to punish evildoers and praise those who do right. It is supposed to be good. Headship and marriage is supposed to be good. Now, I agree that it can be flawed because of sin, but it's supposed to be good. And so the idea is put yourself under the headship of your husband. Right? And here's what I'm going to argue. Ladies, this is, this is so critical for you to grasp. This is why I think that everyone that comes to this and just takes a surface issue of it misses it. I would argue that in the home that the wife is the most essential piece because she establishes authority in the home. Here's why I said that. Because she is one who's in authority and she's under authority. And so if there's going to be actual a structure and authority in the home, she's gotta do it. Because if, if you can't have two heads in a home. You can't have two heads. You have two heads, you have a monster. You have no heads, you have death, right? So she is the one that's gonna either make this happen or not make this happen. And you're going to see that. And throughout the scripture, it's very interesting. You see passages like Proverbs 14.1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. You never see a verse to husbands about this. Why? Because the wife has power in the home to destroy or build. She just does. You never see a warning to husbands like that, right? First Timothy 4, we don't go there, but Paul actually calls her the, the literal rendering is the house despot. So you can go around and just get your wife an apron that says house despot, right? But n- there's never language about men being the house manager, the house ruler like that. There's never, you don't see it. Proverbs 31, and you can read through that. She has a unique relationship with her husband. She has a unique relationship with her kids. She has a unique relationship with the business she runs. She has a unique relationship with her employees, with the, the, the people she's doing business with. She, she's like the center of the wheel, that's going around, 
right? That's why I think it's key that it's a voluntary thing. It's not a command for the husband, it's, it is a command for her, that you are voluntarily placing yourself under the headship, the leadership of your husband. And it's a, I know the world says it's not good, it's a good thing. Here's why it's good. Let me go to the other places in 1 Corinthians where it says, okay, Jesus is the head of the church. Is that a good thing? Is it, is it a good thing that Jesus is the head of the church? Yes. It, it says that God is the head of Jesus, God the Father. Is that a good thing? It says that Jesus is the head of the man. Is that a good thing? Uh, then why is it all of a sudden not a bad thing, a good thing, that the husband is the head of the wife? Why? If all the others are good, See, it's inconsistent, right? It's good. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place of flourishing and blessing, right? Uh, and, and it's meant to be that case. And, and here's another thing that I was, I was thinking about this week as I was looking at this. In every single case, all four of those, God, Jesus, church, man, who, who gets the better end of the deal? It's not the head. It's the one that's under the head. Who gets the better deal from the church being under Jesus? Does he get a better deal? We get the better deal. Who gets the better deal from, from Jesus and, and the Father? The Father lavishes him with glory and power and has given him everything. It's, it's a better deal to be under good headship. That's the idea, right? That's the idea. And so this is the design of the home and this is how we declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light, right? And let me do some myth busting real quick because I think there's a lot of questions and I'm not gonna answer all the questions because I can't answer all the questions today. Um, uh, but but it's, this has nothing to do, obviously we already said with, with equality, it has everything to do with design. It has nothing to do with competency. Well, that's because men can do more. Really? Really? Let's be honest. How many of us are in a, our wives are more intuitive, more gifted, know how to juggle more things? know where the trash can in the house is, right? I mean, how, it has nothing to do with competency, right? But what it does mean, ladies, is this. Because the way you're wired, you, you're wired to be able to handle all these things, right? And men are very, there I am, I'm going. I got the yard. I can't do anything else but the yard right now. I got, no, I got the job. I got the, well, because you, you you're gonna have to fight the temptation to do it all. Because you can because you can. And see, if you, do, if you try to go out and do it all, here's what's gonna happen. Because men are by nature passive, they will let you. They will let you. And that feels good for a while. First couple years of marriage, it feels good because, man, all these big decisions, where we're gonna move, what we're gonna do, he just, he just says, well, I can decide, that's great, feels good. And it feels great for a few years, and 15 years in, you are going to be exhausted. And you're gonna have zero respect for old boy who you don't even feel he's competent to go to the first grade meeting with the teacher because he's failing spelling because I gotta do it all because Ducklehead doesn't know how to spell cat, let alone find the cat. Because that's where it's going. So you're gonna have to fight the temptation to take over and figure out how you can come alongside and affirm that, that, that we're doing this together. And you gotta take the lead here, right? Because he will do it. Myth number two, I, that means I have to do whatever he says. Really? That's an easy myth. No, you follow God and God first. That's what you do. You're a follower of Jesus. You are a partner with this man, all right? So if he calls you to sin or do something you feel like God's not leading us there, you guys have got to figure that out. But no, it's not mean I have to do whatever he says. Myth number three, it means I don't have my own independent thoughts. 
this, this text seems to go the exact opposite because in this text, the wife is a Christian, the, the husband is not. And, and, and Peter's not saying, well, just follow your husband in this. Because in that day, what traditionally happened is you adopted the, the religion of your husband. Uh, and Peter's saying, no, 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 you, you follow Jesus. So it's not about independent thoughts, right? It, it's not, here's a big one. It's not about not influence. Well, that means I just have to do whatever and I can't, be a, I can't have influence here. Actually, the opposite of true. Peter actually says, I want you to be an influencer. Look what he says. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if they don't obey the word, they are one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see respectful and pure conduct. He says, no, I want you to be an influencer. That's why I created you. You would come alongside and you would make things happen because it is not good for man to be alone. He needs you, you need him, right? That's the idea, right? So, so this idea, well, they can't be, they don't have authority, they don't have influence, that's not what he is saying. And he tells them, I want you to influence and here's how, through your conduct, through your conduct. Now, this has been an abuse passage in the church. Don't let your adorning, your literally your cosmetics, this is the word we get our English word from. Don't let your adorning be external, braiding of hair, putting on jewelry, the clothing you wear. And some churches, oh, see, women can't wear, you know, they can't wear uh, jewelry uh, or, or, or dresses. This is dumb. Don't, don't listen to that garbage. There's all sorts of places in the Bible where there's jewelry. That's not what he is saying. He's not saying, don't wear makeup, makeup is sin. What he is saying is, if all you got is physical beauty, that's, that's not gonna last. It's just not. I mean, it's a, we, you, you're designed, ladies, to carry the image of God in a unique way, and beauty is part of that. That is part of the deal. God is a beautiful God, and women reflect that in a different way than men, and it is a good thing. Now, it should be done properly. It should be done uh, with, with modesty. You know, Proverbs says uh, that like a ring of gold in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion, and so it's not to be used and get your way, but you are to carry the beauty of God. You should take care of yourself. You should eat healthy. You should go to the gym. You should do all these things. That is good. He's not saying don't do that. He's saying, but if that's all you got, that's not gonna win anything. Because that is perishable. But the inner person, the hidden person of the heart is imperishable. It's the same word he uses of the word of God in your, in your inheritance. It is imperishable. It will not fade away. This is a beauty that lasts. The beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious. Valuable is the word. It's, okay, so God is not down on beauty and looking nice. But what he's saying is if that's all you got, he says, go to the gym, but put, put as much time in your heart as you do at the gym. As much effort in your dietary plan and, and how much you, you're, where you're buying your outfits and all these things, put, put that, at least that effort into who you are as a person and let it be the gentle and quiet spirit. And he's not saying you have to be quiet. Fine, I'll just shut my mouth. That's not what he's saying. Read the Bible. How many of the women of the Bible spoke? Esther goes to her husband and says, it's Naaman. She opens her mouth. Ruth goes to Boaz and says, I want you to marry me. She moves first. You have all sorts of ladies who are using their mouth. You have Deborah, who is a judge. You have Miriam, who's leading Israel and singing. He's not saying be quiet. Even the, uh, the, the sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, they come to Jesus. Jesus, you are here. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you can't speak. Gentle and quiet spirit. It's not talking about being, not talking. You can be very quiet and be rebellious. It's talking about a spirit of humility and gentleness. And the word gentleness is used of Jesus. He says, I am lowly and gentle of heart. It's a word that means power under control. It's used of a horse, a war horse that's powerful, but it has control of itself because it's got a bridle. 
and it knows how to, it knows how to move and knows how to navigate. That's the idea. He says, that is precious. You want to influence? You want to have influence in lives around you? Let it be your character. Not nagging, right? Not wearing someone down because you will win that war. You will win the war of attrition in your home, I promise you, because your husband is passive by nature. Not domineering. If it's not appropriate for men to be domineering, it's not appropriate for women either. Not manipulating. Well, if you do this, I'll do this and I got to get my way, so I got to do this. No, your biggest influencer is your conduct. It's your conduct. It's, it's just being godly, right? And single guys, look for someone who you feel like is hot, yes, and also someone who can partner with you and someone that is godly, that's pursuing godliness. That's what you want, right? Because godliness, when you're 80, I know we have some 80-year-olds here, so I'm not saying you're, you're not beautiful, but I'm just saying when you're, you don't look like you're 20 when you're 80, all right? You, you shrink. I can't afford to shrink. I'm already shrinking. You shrink, all sorts of things. But beauty doesn't last, but godliness does. And you're looking for a mate to run the race together for life. That's what you're looking for. Right? And so here's the biggest challenge, ladies. And you gotta, this is a lot of this stuff is, I'm bringing high level principles and you're gonna have to figure it out with your husbands and in community, which is, I think is significant. What you have to figure out is this. How can I step in without stepping over? That, that's what you gotta figure out. And there's a line between uh, shaping and dominating that you gotta figure out in your home based on personalities, based on gifts. And it's a fine line in some places. And not, if that doesn't muddy the waters enough, then you got personality differences and introvert. And, you, know, you have two people in the home that are type A drivers. Well, I can tell you, there's a fight over every bowl of Cheerios in that house, right? Or you got two people that are completely like the gentle, quiet spirit, and you don't even know what's going on in that house because they're so nice and they don't want to ever hurt anybody's feelings. And truth is hard to be found in that. So you got to navigate that. Or you have one strong and one, uh, one kind of gentler, which is maybe most of us opposite of track. Maybe it's the man. And if that's the case, you got to figure out how your voice is not squelched and so how there's still influence and shaping. And if, if, it's the, the dom, if, if the lady is more gifted and dominant, and she's a better speaker and she's more you know, active and you got to figure out how that you can uh, create room for him to lead. And so these are, these are challenges. I'm not, I'm not saying it's easy. Right, because every marriage is different and every relationship is different, but you gotta figure out what it looks like. And I would say this, ladies, figure out a way where you can show respect and honor your husband, right? Because that's what, that's what he needs. That's how he's wired, that he needs to feel respect. That's how God has created him. Uh, and so you need to feel it. That's how Paul closes out his passage in Ephesians 5. Ladies, respect your husbands, right? Because that feeds his tank, Ribs don't feed his tank. Football don't feed his tank. Respect feeds his tank. And if he feels respected, he will, he will run through a wall for you. Right? If he feels disrespected, he will shut down faster than, you know, a cheap car. Right? And that's the way it is. So figure out what that looks like. Uh, and that's what he, he continues in verse five to say. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How? By submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And this, this verse gets a lot of flat. She's not walking around saying, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Don't try this at home, man. Don't say, okay, call me Lord. I'm here I am. It's referring to a passage in Genesis 18 when she's inside the tent doing something. Abraham's out talking to God. And God says, you're gonna have a baby. And Sarah's, you know, this old and she's gonna be pregnant. And she says, 
almost laugh. She does laugh. She says, am I going to give pleasure to my Lord? That's, the, that's when she calls him Lord. The idea there is she's just referring to her husband with respect. One, he's not in the room, right? So you don't need to call your husband Lord. What you need to do is when he, whether you're with him or not, you talk to him with respect. That's it. If he's not that moron of a husband of mine, you don't even, that, that's the opposite of respect. So whatever your name that you call your husband that shows that you honor him, use that, right? I don't know what that is, but that's, that's the idea there, right? Uh, and, she's, and he says, you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. I would say application-wise here, find some women like Sarah, who was not perfect. She had some issues, didn't she not? We looked at her story. Find godly women who you're like, I want my marriage to reflect like that marriage and spend time with them. That's the idea. Look at the godly women that are around you. Get in community. Figure this out. Talk to them. Look for examples. Sarah wasn't perfect, but what did she do? She had faith. She trusted God. She finds herself in Hebrews 11, the hall of fame of faith, uh, despite her issues. That's what you want to look for. Get into community. All right? So big, big takeaway. Ladies, there's a divine order. God has put you to have called you to put yourself under the shade and the leadership of your husband. Try to affirm that. The best thing for you, for you to flourish and for the gospel to be proclaimed is you to follow your husband. Not subvert yourself and all, oh, fine, I'm gonna go just make dinner. No, to, to come alongside and partner with him in a way that affirms him uh, as leader. That will be the place of blessing and shade. Well, look at the time, we're done. Uh, we'll leave the men for uh, never, no. Uh, here's what's interesting. That's, in our culture, the more controversial. But in Peter's culture, it's what he says to the husbands, which is actually controversial, right? Because women in their day were less than uh, men. They had no opportunities for public office, politics. If they had an inheritance, it went to the husbands. Uh, it, it, it was, if you, again, you want a modern day, look at the Middle East. That's how women were treated. So what he's gonna tell the men is actually radical, Right? And so we'll unpack the men. They only get one verse. That's because we can't handle more than one verse. Uh, but it's very straightforward. Verse seven. Likewise, there it is again, because of God. Because of God. Because your relation with God. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally according to knowledge. Know your wife. Know your wife. Know what makes her tick. Know what makes her thrive. Know what it means for it to be a blessing to be under your leadership. Again, who benefits more, Jesus or the church? The church benefits from the headship of Jesus. You gotta ask yourself, husbands, honestly, does my wife blessed because she's married to me? And I'm not talking about because you bought her a nice car and a house. Is she thriving and blessed under your loving shade and headship? Is she better? That's the question you gotta ask, honestly. You may wanna ask her, but you may wanna wait a couple hours. <laughs> Jesus lays down his rights for the church. He lays down his desires for the church. He meets his wife's, his bride's needs first. He gives his life for his bride, which means you are giving your life away for your bride. And you know what that means because you're living according to knowledge. Right? So if you're using your wife to get something that you need, we ain't doing that. That's not what we're talking about. We are living our lives for her needs. 
We are leveraging the best parts of who she is, not you. And the irony is this, and I get the irony, all right, because who is more relational 99% of the time? It's, it's, it's our wives. Now, some of you are like, yeah, but, but most of the, of, of the women in the room are highly, more highly relational than men. That's why women have like, you know, 50,000 words a day and men have like seven, okay? And so there's a relational piece, but where does God put the responsibility of being the, the relational guru? It's not the men because he knows we're naturally, naturally passive, we're naturally abusive, so he doesn't want us to be. So he says, you have to be a student of your wife. Know her strengths, know her weaknesses, where she thrive, where she's not. And you put her in position, position to be blessed. That's what according to knowledge. He also says, show her honor, right? Show her honor as the weaker vessel. And there's all sorts of stupidity written about this. Weaker, oh, she's weaker emotionally. She's, that's dumb, the only way she is weaker, you know how she's weaker? Because 90, unless you're Ronda Rousey, physically, men are stronger than women. If we had a battle royale, ladies on this side, men on this side, okay, in this church, what's gonna happen? Probably the men are gonna win. And if the men don't win, then I am stepping down as a pastor, okay? <laughs> because that's just the way it is. Men are physically stronger. And because we're physically stronger, we have a tendency to abuse and be intimidating and bully don't we? Yes, because I'm the one and I'm stronger and I can bow up and I can threaten, which is why it is 90% of the time women who are abused, not men. And so he says, she's weaker. So you've got to treat her with honor. Just because you can be stronger doesn't mean you should be stronger. She is choosing the, the, the more vulnerable position here by putting herself under your headship, Right? And Jesus never bullies his church. Jesus never threatens his church. Jesus never neglects his church. His church never doubts his love. That's the idea, right? Honor. And this is radical because a wife in that day was seen as property. That's what she was. He says, no, no, no. Honor her, why? She is an heir with you. Underline that. This goes back to Genesis 1. She is your equal, She's your same. You are a prince. She is a princess. And what do you think the king's going to do to you if you treat his princess poorly? What do you think? Huh? He's going he's to come after you. And that's exactly what he says. In fact, the ladies, they get all these instructions, but they get no threat. Men, God gives us a threat. He says, if you're against your bride, I am against you. Right? Your prayers are hindered. I am in opposition. You can talk to me. You're talking to the hand. You get no help from me. Why? Because you're treating my princess in a dishonorable way. You're not loving my princess. You're not living in an understanding. You are not showing her honor. And I think the ultimate thing is this. When you come out of leadership, men, it means we are responsible. And the art of passivity is to say, no, it's her fault, it's my kid's fault, it's my bad's fault. It's my... No, no, you are responsible. This is why way back in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, and yes, Eve sinned first and all that stuff, and God comes walking in the garden and they're all hiding naked in the corner. Who does God call for? Adam, where are you? It's not that God didn't know, by the way. He has x-ray vision like Superman. He can see him over there in the bushes. But he calls Adam, why? Because he's responsible because he was supposed to lead this deal and he let it blow up, right? And it's the same with us men. When there's conflict in the home, who's responsible to move first? Well, she didn't, she's the one that did this, yeah. 
Well, thank goodness that Jesus moves first because you didn't. Who moved first towards your sin, Jesus? Who took responsibility? And in your fight, okay, let's be honest. Okay, in a, in a good fight, you know, somebody's 70% right, somebody's 30% right. Okay, so maybe you're the 30%. Jesus was the 0% wrong and he still pursued you. So what's your excuse? There is none. That your job is to provide, your job is to comfort, your job is to protect. If she is stressed out over here, that you're stepping in and saying, I got this. You go over there. You, I got this. Not, well, figure it out. Call your mom. Let the kids do it. Right? When there's discipline needs in the home and you're sitting on the couch watching Georgia wax country day yesterday. <laughs> congratulations, you beat country day. <laughs> I just came up with that. That wasn't even planned, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's your job to get up off the couch and deal with it. Not hers. It's your job. All sorts of applications here, right? This is why you have community groups. I would say this. Men, the same effort you're putting in at wherever you work, your softball team, trying to bat 500 for the Baptist League or whatever it is, put more effort at your house. Because who cares if you bat 750 in the league and you're, you're despised in your home? Put that effort at home, Right? Be a one-woman man. There's nothing more dishonorable than a wandering eye. Get rid of the computer, get rid of the Netflix, whatever it is, right? Nothing more dishonoring than a wandering eye. Let her know she is needed and valued. Tell her, I'm so thankful for you, right? Own your deal when you mess up because you do, right? Don't blame shift, blame it on the dog, blame it on the kids, blame it on her. Own it, I'm sorry, that was sin, Will you forgive me? Ask for her input, what her opinion matters. God has given you her for, for wisdom. It is not good for man to be alone, right? You need the input. The word is there, helper in the Hebrew. It's, it, the same word is used, interesting. What do we call the Holy Spirit? I will send the what? The helper. Now, ladies, that doesn't mean you're the Holy Spirit and everything. That's not what I'm saying. But you function in a lot of ways. The word parakaleo means to come alongside. That's the word for the Spirit. That you come alongside and you give strength and you give wisdom. That's, that's what you need, men. So ask for that, right? And time. I think time is significant with our, with our spouses. I know you got a golf team and you got a this and you got Saturday morning. That's fine. But time shows honor, time shows love, time is how you know thoughts, have conversations, praying. There's so many applications, y'all. Uh, here, it comes down to this, all right? Boil it all down. Men need to feel respect, women need to be loved. And there's something amazing how we're wired. That's not all there is, but I think that's the starting place. There's a lot more to it than that. But if, if a man feels respected, he will respond with love. If a wife feels love, she will respond with respect. And that is a powerful cycle that continues to energize. At the same time, a man feels disrespected, he will respond unloving. He, and when he responds unloving, a, a, a wife will respond uh, disrespectfully. And then you can get on a crazy thing over here. And at some point, the Christian needs to say, I'm sorry. And it should be the man. But... If it's the lady, somebody's got to get off the cycle because the point is the gospel, Jesus and his church. That's what the point is. That's where we're going. Again, it all comes back to Jesus and his church. Winsome marriages, beautiful marriages where the world says, 
they get along most of the time and he loves her and treats her so well and she speaks well of him and that is weird. Is that not weird? They've been married 27 years. That's not weird to you? They raised three kids and they're, they're still sane and then that's the idea. And the world steps back and says something different about that. What, tell me about that. And we can say, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. A couple questions and we'll worship. Is it possible Is it possible that you're not loving your spouse the way you should? Is it possible, ladies, that you are not honoring as much as you could? Just, is it possible? Because if it is, if it is possible, it is, then we live a life of repentance and we move towards that. And the Holy Spirit empowers us and he shows us. Are you humble enough to hear that? Are you humble enough to hear it from your spouse? And I know there are some, well, they're not doing their part. I hear you. Here's the beauty of the text. The other person doesn't matter. Just like the government. Doesn't he say, the government. He doesn't say, well, what if he's a tyrant? Subject yourself to the government. What if my boss is a jerk? He dealt with that too. It's independent of the other person. Again, I'm not saying stay in an abusive place where you're in danger. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if it's not, it does, the other person doesn't matter. It's for the Lord's sake. I'll deal with them. I'm talking to you. How are you honoring me? How are you following me? That's a question I think we've got to ask. Second question is, is it possible that you are, have unrealistic expectations of your spouse? That you are looking for uh, a need in your soul to be respected in a way that no person deserves or should be? That you're trying to get this, this trying to fulfill something that only Jesus can. Same thing with love. That you're expecting him to love you in a way that only can be filled with Jesus. Maybe. So I think it's, so there's, there's some discussions that I think will be helpful for us. And again, appreciate you being open-minded. I went a little long and I knew that. Is there a tension in the text for our culture? Absolutely. But here's the deal. Whether you agree with me or not, it, does, it doesn't bother me because uh, this is the word of God and I believe it. We are here to, okay, if you are like, I'm wrestling with some of this stuff, come talk to us. And sometimes I joke, oh, don't email me. But no, if you, ha- if you wanna talk, you wanna sit down, we got pastors and elders and people, we got couples in this church that meet with folks, we'd love to walk with you through. That's what we do. That's what we do. And we would love to walk with you through this. And we've seen God restore marriages that were train wrecks. Praise his name. But I can tell you this, if you do nothing, then it ain't gonna get better. It's gonna get worse. And your heart will harden. Uh, and then two years, three years from now, it'll be even worse. And so whether you agree with this passage or not, there's a lot of work to do. And we wanna see some movement. We wanna see movement towards each other. And so I pray that your community groups will be awesome this week for those of you in them. If you're not in one, this would be a good week to jump in. All right, so let me pray. And uh, we'll respond. We have one song to sing together. And so um, if you need prayer, again, the prayer team will be in the hall afterwards. You wanna talk to a pastor or you wanna meet with a pastor, grab one of the ushers, we're glad to meet with you. We put a card in the box, say, hey, we need to talk, we need to get in. We'd love to reach out to you and be whatever you need for us to do to shepherd you through that. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word that is, confronts us, Lord. It does. And we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who loves perfectly, the one who places himself under authority perfectly. He is our model. And so help us to follow him. And I know that's radical for this culture in 2021. I get it. But it's a a marriage that proclaims you. uh, And it's good. And you want us to be blessed and you want us to flourish. And so we trust you. 
even in the hard things. I pray for our marriages, Lord. I, I, marriage is hard. Two sinners in the same home, then you throw a little sinners in diapers and it makes it even worse. And that's challenging. So help us to follow you faithfully, to forgive lavishly, to love and respect uh, by your spirit. It's for Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys can stand. From the moment that awaits 